KBHDD is reminding Georgians to ask their doctor about alternatives to opioid pain medication. Alternatives such as over-the-counter medications and physical therapy can be used to manage pain. More information at opioidresponse.info. Thanks to all of you for being with us for today's Political Rewind. Lots to talk about, so let's get right to the panel. Jim Galloway. The AJC's lead political writer is here with us, as he is on Mondays and Fridays. He's in the Wednesday and Sunday paper with his column. He oversees the Political Insider blog at AJC.com. And as I always like doing on a, on a Friday or, you know, weekend show, Jim, I like to ask what your column's about that people are going to read in the Sunday paper or online right now. Uh, the headline is, uh, Can a Version of Cap and Trade Save Rural Hospitals right. in Georgia? You've got to just go a little deeper and tell us how cap and trade applies to rural Georgia. Uh, if, if Can you make indigent health care a commodity that can be traded, traded uh, that, can, that can be traded between wealthy hospitals and poor hospitals? Wow. Um, here Galloway goes again, Cody Hall, press secretary to Governor Brian Kemp. Here he goes again, making policy for the state of Georgia in his column. <laughs> well, that's his uh, his prerogative. That's so. really my way of saying welcome, Cody. It's good to have you here. <laughs> Glad to be here. <laughs> I have to admit that uh, I think it is a good sign that uh, the governor – uh, has doesn't object to your coming on Political Rewind. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel like uh, we do as balanced a job as we possibly can on the show. So we're glad you're here. He hasn't given me any feedback yet on my appearances. So we'll... Oh, <laughs> well, I assume he doesn't listen to the show at all. He's sort of like Trump <laughs> in the impeachment hearings. He doesn't listen to the show. Cesar Mitchell is with us. Of course, he's a former president of the Atlanta City Council and uh, is now a partner at Denton's the world's largest law firm. Hi, Caesar. How have you been? Oh, I've been great. It's good to see you. It's good to see everybody. Yeah. It's great to be back. Yeah. Um, and, of course, before the show's over, we're going to ask you if you have a political future ahead of you <laughs> that you're <laughs> contemplating. But well, we'll hold that for later. Yeah, let's hope the show never ends. <laughs> <laughs> Amy Steigerwald, political science professor from Georgia State University, is also here with us today. Amy, how are things at Georgia State these days? They're good. They're you, good. We're you, growing. You have you have just fi have you finished now the process of interviewing and selecting interns who will be working at the state capitol? That's one of your big responsibilities Indeed in terms of the legislature. We we have interviewed. We sent out notifications to the various schools. In fact, right before I ran over here to let them know about their candidates. And then there's still some last minute ones we're trying to figure out but i'm i'm really excited we we had a we had a lot of good candidates from all over the state how many uh interns do you put into play down there so this year uh due to the budget cuts that also affected the you know staff at the capitol as well so i think we're going to have a total of 49 wow that's still Ooh. a terrific number of people yes. okay all right but it's um, less than last year so I'm an alumni of that program, actually. Are, are you really? I was an intern in 2015 through UGA through the GLIP program. So it's Excellent. a great program. Everyone should do it if they're interested uh, the in state Through the what policy. program? GLIP. So the Georgia Legislative Internship oh, program. Yeah, and that's okay. the one that I run. Yeah. yeah. And it, that is not uncommon. In fact, there's a number of senators and representatives who were in the program. Well, and there you go. Hey, kids, you could be the press secretary to a future <laughs> governor if you get into the internship program. Just or like the minority Cody leader Hall. of the House, who there is also go. a former. All right. Uh, enough enough chit-chat. Uh, Jim Galloway, I'll start you uh, on this one. Uh, uh, 
Cody's boss, the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, has now set the deadline Monday at 5 o'clock for people to apply for the job of, uh, of taking Johnny Isaacson's place in the U.S. Senate. Um, I think. Who are the big people who have, who are the big names who have already well, well, applied? Well, I mean the big the big names, of course, so far, and we've mentioned them many, many times. Yeah. Uh, like uh, like uh, Representative Doug Collins over yep. in Gainesville, yep. who is a, a, a Trump defender. Uh, you have Jen Jones, the House Speaker pro tem, uh, up in up in North Fulton. She brings her own own set of uh, of advantages there. Right. I'm I'm actually very interested in the last forty eight hours where we've seen some two two unexpected ones. We've seen. Uh, uh, Robin Crittenden, who replaced uh, Brian Kemp as Secretary of State, acting Secretary of State act, before act, the acting, election, right? Yeah, and I believe she 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 held a a a a a, a, a another post in 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 the Nathan Deal administration, and then Alan Poole, who is the head of uh, of uh, Georgia Highway Safety under Kemp. Uh, both are African Americans, uh, and both have both have uh, re- uh, good Republican credentials. Harold Melton, Chief Justice of the Georgia He's Supreme one, yeah. Court, mm-hmm. has thrown his hat in the ring. I mean, Caesar, there's quite a few people who are interested in this job. Yeah, and I'm I'm still very intrigued by the fact that Governor Kemp actually uh, democratized the process, or at least the application process, to get you know interest from folks. I'm curious as to whether or not the next you know 48 to whatever hours that the application process is left open will be maybe the most important in terms of those who actually end up applying. Some more who apply. So, for instance, and I'm, I'm keeping Cody Hall out <laughs> yeah. of this at this point because I know the last thing he wants to do is name some people here. But Amy Steigerwald, for instance, uh, Chris Carr, the uh, attorney general, has not thrown his head in the ring. The, uh, former chief of staff for Senator Johnny Isaacson, a very prominent uh, guy in the Republican Party, um, he hasn't thrown his hat in the ring. Uh, neither have any other, to the best of my knowledge, constitutional officers. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting. We could. What is going to happen these last forty-eight hours or so? I, I have a feeling that there's going to be some number of candidates where they're going to come in now because, in part, they've been trying to see what the field is. They also didn't want to put in perhaps too early before having an idea and. There are likely discussions going on in the background also of who is being both encouraged to put in and maybe discouraged from putting them in. Because there, there is that risk of if you put your name in and then you are not chosen, especially for one of the constitutional officers, that can be very difficult. And then it brings up questions about whether or not you really want to hold this post if you want to run for re-election or something like that. And so I think that there are – there's a lot of things that people have to weigh. So, OK, Cody, now it is your turn. Uh, you – you have like four, five hundred plus applicants. Do you know the exact number as of today? I think we're over five hundred and fifty. Okay. And do you have you had conversations among yourselves in the office about what to expect during this last period of time up until five o'clock on Monday? What 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 are you all anticipating? I think we're all. Um looking forward to this process coming to a conclusion. <laughs> um, but I can also say that ignorance is a little bit of bliss in this kind of scenario. Um, the governor's been having conversations with senior staff and, and, and advisors and will continue to do so. So we're, um, we're kind of ready to wrap this thing up um, and, and make sure that we have someone that's going to go out there and fight for Georgians. It's, it's, it, to me, it's, it's really interesting, Bill, because you've got a, a situation where uh, if, if, if you view this election as, as, as someone who can 
who can who can help the Republican Party on the ballot in November in 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 this coming November and the and the one uh, two years after that, then then it's it's a to me it's a very puzzling situation because you've got this flux in in Washington right now. You've got I mean you've got the very very, very strong likelihood that the first of the year is going and 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 your your new senator is going to be asked to vote on uh, uh, on our articles of impeachment right off the bat. Uh, which, which, which that 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 means that that will impact the campaign that he runs the, the rest of the year, uh, and and of course, so that means do you focus more on to twenty twenty or do you focus on twenty twenty two? Yeah, that's really although now there's been speculation, Amy, and it's been done by some of the people uh, panelists on this show uh, recently mm-hmm. that it, it may have been Galloway who brought this up that if. Johnny Isaacson, mm-hmm. we know his health is really an mm-hmm. issue right now. but And we don't know when the Senate may take up the impeachment trial if it comes to that, and we don't know how long it might go on. But there have been people who have speculated whether Isaacson wouldn't be doing an even greater service to the Republicans, at least, if he found a way to stay on until the impeachment trial and the vote to protect whoever the governor points to this seat. But that seems like an unlikely scenario, as intriguing as it is. I think a lot of it might have to do with timing. I mean, there is sort of a question of what would happen if it was mid-impeachment trial and a vacancy opens, because that's sort of uncharted territory. Because a lot of times, if there is a new, like if you're talking about sort of a traditional trial, if a, if a vacancy opens up, you don't necessarily bring in somebody new. Right. A lot of times they continue on. Sometimes you do. It kind of depends on how far you're in and how far you're not. And so I don't know quite how they would handle that. Yeah. Um, I think that there's also a question of how quickly. I mean, on there, there's at least been some speculation that this could be going much faster than we thought. Yeah. Um, and so. Right. I want to get Cody in and then I want to I got to get Caesar in about this. All right. Cody. <laughs> Your opportunity to make news on political rewind. The deadline, <laughs> five o'clock Friday, uh, Monday afternoon. Should we expect that the governor is going to announce this in a relatively short period of time after the deadline? A couple things here. Number one, the governor hasn't made a choice yet, so um, we need still to still checking sure. resumes. People have submitted their uh, credentials, their uh, recommend. You know, the people who they've asked to be their references, making the phone calls, <laughs> <laughs> all the above. Um, <laughs> But I think the other aspect of this, you know, I do believe that we have more days in this process behind us than we do ahead of us. Um, and we do have a calendar kind of deadline of the end of the year. Um, so we're going to continue to work through the process, but um, we're all hoping that we reach a conclusion uh, soon. Let me, let me if, if, I, if I can press Bill's point here just a little bit. When we had Keith Garrett on here last Friday, mm-hmm. Uh, basically, he said, "No, Isaacson is not going to. Uh, he's not, he's not going to stay on beyond December December thirty first. But he raised an interesting process. Is it possible that the that the, the governor Kemp could name his nominee, but not swear him in for a period of time? I'm not a member of our distinguished legal community here in the state, so I would I'm I'm going to beg ignorance on that. But I do think in, in terms of Senator Isaacson's timing, look. Parkinson's and a number of other health issues that that he's dealing with are not easy things to deal with in terms of, um, you know, as a family, as an office. So I can only imagine what his his staffers and his family are going through. So, you know, we're praying for him. um, And, you know, 
he should make the choice that he feels is right. And I think he said this multiple times that um, he would not have said that he was going to resign if he did not believe that that was the only option that he had. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I do want to touch on one other thing. You know, the governor said in multiple interviews and um, has said since this process started that one of the hardest parts about being governor that you don't really understand until you're in the office is the tough choice you have to make in a lot of the appointment process. When when you bring in a, a list of very qualified people, whether it's for a judgeship or a U.S. Senate seat, um, often you have two or three or four or even more people that are very qualified, and you have to make a really tough choice between folks that you think would do a good job. And that's what that's why it's taken this amount of time. Um, and Well, wait, I thought it's taken this amount of time because the, op- the process for applying is still open. Well, sure. Well, next but, month. No, but, but, but <laughs> I, think, I think to that point, and I think what's important, uh, and this is what my reflection is on this process, is that I think the governor wants to have a list that he can whittle down to a short list and choose from a really good short list. I, and that's why I think, you know, if you see some interesting folks apply over the next few days, uh, it may be an indication that he wants them on that short list so he can consider them. Or, or, Not to actually pick them, but to be on a short list to consider. And, and, and to that point, you know, this is uh, – I hadn't thought about that, this until Cody was, 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 was describing the process here. Uh, yes, if you have if you walk into a process and you have a short list of say ten people and you 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 you, you uh, pick one, then you're going to make one person happy and nine people unhappy. Mm-hmm. But if you've got a list of five hundred and fifty <laughs> people mm-hmm. and you pick one, mm-hmm. then 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 the pressure is off. You know, you just you just you're, you know. You just you, 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 550, 49 people aren't going to be that mad at you. Exactly. Now Jim and said I, it, Bill. So let's and, hope I, that and, I, and I predict that, that the governor will pick a you know, and I'm just you know pulling yes, this out of sure. the hat. By the middle of December, he will have picked. I don't think Senator Isaacson is going to stay, and I and I don't think it really impacts the impeachment because isn't there a requirement of two thirds vote in the Senate yeah. for mm-hmm. impeachment? Yes. So it, politically, you, you know, you can. You, the Senate could shield or insulate this new yeah, person that's absolutely from having true. to actually take, that's a, a great point. take a bad yeah. vote on it. Hadn't this. even thought about that. All right, so, Amy, the uh, Democratic presidential debate at Tyler Perry, Perry Studios begins at 9 p.m. on this coming Wednesday night. Yes. Don't you think it would be interesting if Governor Kemp announced his choice at, say, 8.55 on Wednesday <laughs> evening and tried to sort of preempt the Democrats, whatever bang the Democrats get here in Georgia for their debate? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will say, because I'll, I'll be the technical sort of, you know, wonk here, is that until uh, Senator Isaacson formally resigns, there is no seat to swear someone in for. And the swearing in actually yeah. will take place uh, in what it doesn't happen actually by the governor. It will happen by the vice president. Sure. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> All right. No, that's fine. All right. So, and I seriously doubt that the governor would. That's not his style. I don't think I, that would be. Uh, no, that would be I, some I really so. good kabuki theater. But I, I just don't see that. I, I, that I would can, be really. That would be yeah. great. Press. Yeah, I think that's you know. AJ yeah. See, on this show, Galloway gives the governor policy ideas. <laughs> I <laughs> tricks of the trade. <laughs> uh, Caesar. Okay, let's move on from and take poor Cody off the hook. <laughs> uh, but excellent political answer. Yeah. T- um, yeah. So Galloway has speculated, as have other people on this show, that the reason we don't see any other Democrats jumping into that uh, uh, race number two, because, of course, whoever Governor Kemp appoints will presumably run for the seat in November of 2020. Um, He speculates, of course, it is because people are a little nervous 
about running against an unknown. But do you imagine once the governor makes his choice, we're going to start seeing Democrats line up for that seat? Possibly. I would say um, I think that's part of the, the, the rationale. Let's see who's in the race. Is this someone I want to run against? Is this someone that I don't want to run against? Uh, and then I think also, too, I hope this is the case, and I wouldn't I wouldn't have any way of knowing, but I, I hope there's a, a lot of conversation going on kind of within uh, Democratic decision-making executive circles about making sure that the right candidate runs. Uh, because personally, this is my opinion, if we have multiple Democratic candidates running in this race, there's going to be a likely runoff, and there's a or or Democrats won't win even in November, and that would be an incredible waste of time and a futile exercise for Jim, the Democrats. Oop, I didn't I didn't mean to step on your uh, last line there, Jim. This has been an, a question. We're going to have what they call a jungle, in this case, jungle general election uh, for that. It's a special election that happens to be taking place on the same day as the 2020 presidential uh, election and the David Perdue Senate election, for that matter, among other uh, races on the ballot, congressional races and other uh, legislative races. Um, And that the dynamic of a jungle election like that, as Caesar points out, really doesn't favor Democrats in this state, which is why he's hoping Democrats will try to come up with some consolidated choice. Right, right. And, and, and you, you've, you've got the, the uh, Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee that's, that's doing interviews. They have sent staff down here to, to, to uh, background uh, some of the people that are being talked so they can make a, a, a kind of a, a, a pretty firm and I, th- I think probably fairly quick decision uh, at least to, to send the signal that, that you don't need five Democrats in this race. I think you are going to get a Repu- an additional, Rep- at least one additional Republican. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Uh, well, I, for Democrats. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Do you know who that per- – you, do you know a name of someone who's determined to jump in no matter no, what? No, but, but, but you, can, you can look at that list of 550 people. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. And, of and, gotcha. and, 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 and see that, uh, for instance, if, you know, if, if, if Governor Kemp chooses somebody from the metro Atlanta suburbs, yeah. I would – I would anticipate that you're going to see uh, a Republican from rural Georgia uh, enter the race. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> I'm just going to throw something out here, and Jim mm-hmm. and Caesar can tell me if I'm wrong. I don't buy that the Democrats are waiting to see who we pick because the, the playbook is going to be the same to try to compare this person to Trump or try to use well, some of the national climate to try to negatively impact whoever the governor appoints. My hunch is that they can't find one person that they all agree on because if they did, they would have already put them out there and started raising money because to them it doesn't matter. They just need a person to start pumping money into. So my hunch is that um, all the Democrats who they would like to run understand that it's going to be a big uphill battle because if you look at the other race, David Perdue already has over six and a half million dollars. Yeah. And if you add up all the Democrats together, they don't equal half his amount that he's going to be able to have. I think that by the time the Democrats get out of their runoff in the Purdue race, he's going to have over $10 million on hand. So they're seeing that race. And then with the Isaacson race, you have, or the Isaacson seat, you have the general election in 2020. Then you have a runoff in 2021 in January. And then you're going to have another race a year, almost two years later. Um, so I'm thinking that they're saying that it's not going to be a good climate to run, not that uh, they want to see. Amy, react pick. to what you just heard Cody um, say. 
So the only thing I would say about that is at least if you, you know, if I get wonky and you talk about sort of the political science literature is that a lot of the candidate emergent literature does say that sort of who you're running against is important. And the difference with this is that it's not an open seat, even right, because the person who is chosen on the Republican side will be the incumbent, incumbent yeah. which means that the calculation does change. Um, and I think that there is probably a waiting to see of who it is, because you could also imagine that who the candidate that, you know, especially, you know, to be perfectly blunt, if Kemp uh, strategically, especially, you know, chooses someone that uh, appeals to the uh, changing demographics of the state, particularly some of the candidates that we've talked about that have come in recently and sort of opens up the appeal of the Republican Party statewide um, to minority communities, right, or tapping a woman because there aren't a lot uh, that are in uh, leadership right now. Um, that that does, I think, change the calculation for who Democrats won, because on some level, like if that's who the Republicans are winning, then it would look really terribly bad to have it be a white man running against. Caesar Cody does paint a picture of the certainly the fundraising uh, issue that we're watching unfold right now. I mean, David Perdue now, especially with the visit by President Trump, you were including the money from the president. I wasn't, so oh, he's you probably... Oh, yeah. He well, is. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He, oh. add, add another million and a half to that. All right. So there is a disparity here. In So let's talk Senate race number one, the Perdue seat. Um, and it is true that Democrats so far are not having a great deal of success in raising big, big money. But here's the, let me add this other factor to the mix. The AJC poll this last week had a, had some, it had a couple of really interesting uh, uh, data points. One of them was that David Perdue's approval rating is, sits at 50% among registered voters. But then when you ask those same registered voters, are they ready to vote for him for re-election, I think the number went to, I think, I don't have it in front of me, 38 percent. So he's, he, people think he's doing okay right now, but they're uncertain whether they really want to reelect him. On the other hand, he's got a lot of money to convince them. Well, the that just, I mean, it, it, true. Uh, but I think that just boils down to the fact that they don't want to say anything bad about the sitting U.S. senator. He's okay, he's doing a great job, but it's going to ultimately be a partisan election. Uh, and I think that will have an impact on the race. I think, and I agree with Amy, uh, and, I, and I'll come to your point in just a <laughs> second, but I agree with Amy, who uh, the governor appoints is going to be important to not only who gets in the race, but kind of when they get in the race. Uh, I, just, I just think that is an important factor, just from a scientific perspective, but also from just a relationship perspective. I mean, I really do believe sure. there will be candidates on the Democratic side that will say, I don't want to run against that person because that person is my friend, or I just don't see a way that I can get around them in terms of my profile. Or you may say, I'm running because I, I'd like a race against that person. I think that's going to matter. But I do think also, because there is a distinction right now between the number of candidates that have gotten in the Purdue race, Democratic candidates mm -hmm. that have gotten in the Purdue race, and the mm -hmm. conversations that are happening right now are about, about who's going to get into the jungle race. Yeah. I mean, a bunch of folks have just jumped into the yeah. Purdue race, and, which is really interesting, and not, ha, not declare they're going to get into the jungle race. And I think a part of that is uh, what you alluded to earlier. I mean, if mm -hmm. you're going to get in this race as a Democrat in the jungle race, you've got a jungle primary 
number one. So you could be running against a number of other Democrats. That's a lot of hard work. Yeah. Then you've got the likelihood of running, uh, you know, and a runoff campaign, everybody which would be very difficult. A January fifth, January fifth run. So that's even much. Yeah. That's even a higher standing. And then you got to run in twenty twenty two. Yeah. yeah and so exactly. Yeah. And so and so if you if you win for some reason or another. So I just think it's a very difficult race, and not everybody is up to it. Yeah, Jim, well, I want you to weigh in and know this, but again, we always feel it's important to explain in a jungle race like this, everybody Republican and Democrat runs on the same ballot. Um, their party is affiliation is there, but the top two candidates then, uh, if there's not a majority for one, compete in a runoff regardless of political party. So go ahead and weigh in on what you're hearing here. Well, I'm, one thing, uh, there's another scenario for Democrats, and that is 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 kind of uh, give Republicans a buy in 2022, and 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 line up for 2024. I'm I'm sorry. Line up for for, for you give them a buy in 2020, yeah, right. and then line up for 2022. And you know we've gotten some hints from people like Michelle Nunn that that might be in her thinking. All right, what's we'll gonna, take that. Yeah. By the way, you what? <laughs> we take that deal. By the way, <laughs> I, I would say that in their plan there, that's probably not. Yeah, I would. I would say strategically that's not great because then you have a real incumbent who now is yeah. has exactly. been there, and again they've got the name. Now they've got greater name recognition, much more ability to raise funds. And their eye will be bigger. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, just, just for a moment, since we talked about the AJC poll, Cody Hall, governor came up, the governor suddenly has spiked in his approval rating. Is this because of the work you've done getting his <laughs> message out? He no, said, I think this, this is where Cody complains about our skewed polling. Oh, no, no, no. It's a great poll, Jim. <laughs> It was a perfect He's poll. He said, what, 53% approval? Or was 54. It 54. I'm going to okay. take it where I can get it. Right. Um, no, I think it was a great poll. Um, a third of African Americans approved of his job um, and over half of women. Um, so that kind of takes in and across all income levels, over half of all income levels. Um, so that was a good a great poll, but I think it bears out some of the things he's been focusing on, whether um, cracking down on human trafficking with the First Lady through the Grace Commission, the focus on public safety and gangs, education, all the way down. Um, all right, as long as... Uh, wait a minute, let me go, go ahead, Caesar. You got you to gotta go a little further than that. <laughs> First of all, I think part of it is, is that people see a distinction between... It's kind of like when, 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 someone, when, the, when the matriarch or the patriarch of a family passes away... And and they look at the the son or the or the daughter and say, well, you the man or you the woman now. So people are going to look at are looking at the governor and say, well, you the man now. Let's see what you're about. And what he has demonstrated thus far is radically different from all the campaign ads. That helps him. Number one. Number two. If you look at his appointments, if you're paying attention to his appointments. How can you criticize his appointments? And well, I think wait. That's what I, I want to make sure I understand something his, you said. Yeah. Did you want to finish that point? No, and then no, I'll no, ask no, no. But I think I've made my point. I guess okay, hasn't hasn't he in fact governed as he campaigned? He was opposed to abortion. He's now, and I'm surprised. I said on the show the other day, I thought 486 among a big four, segment. 481. I mean, 481 would hurt him with uh, women, uh, with any number of constituents out there. Apparently, it hasn't. 
Um, that's just one example of a number of areas in which it seems like he's, but, he's but, governed like he ran. But his appointments have made a statement. Yeah, number one. right, because he, they're diverse, he, he's right? He's not like President Trump in his vit- yeah. He doesn't have the vitriol. I think that's yeah. a distinction. I think that helps him. And then I'll tell you, I mean, I think we, there's another poll we're going to talk about related to uh, Medicare for All. Yeah. I mean, people in the middle, you know, Democrat and Republican, they 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 tend to look at something from a rational standpoint. They're like, well, hell, he's I'm sorry, excuse me. Heck, <laughs> he's got to he's got to, you know, keep some of those promises. But let's see how he handles the entire gamut of leadership. Yeah. And I think he's passing that test right now. Were you surprised by the the positive the, the numbers having jumped that significantly, Jim? N- uh, not really. N- number one, I mean, he's I mean, he's he's been he's the governor. He, you know, there is no competing voice anymore. Yeah, the it's kind of the way of the t- Caesar yeah, just exactly. Said. But uh, and remember, also on four eighty one, which remains extremely divisive, that 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 whole case has been put in abeyance, right, by a federal right. judge, right. And it, it may never see the light of day. Right. So it is on one hand, it is a promise kept. On you know, on the other hand, it is it has not been uh, politi- po- politically damaging or 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 politically uh, uh, energizing for the other side. But I do think it's worth pointing out. I mean, I was there during the general election and during session, um, and folks accused the governor of a number of things, being a vote suppressor or saying that he's anti-women. But the data obviously doesn't support those claims. Um, And it's up 20 points since January, which includes that time during the legislative session that Heartbeat was going through. So I I do think that um, the data that we've seen so far in terms of people's opinions of the governor and his job um, have kind of pushed back on some of the conventional wisdom in the talking class and on the left. Um, Let's... Pick up on something, Caesar, that you said, that we were going to look at another uh, set of numbers that uh, relate to Medicare for all. Jim, the Democrats will be in town on Wednesday, as we've said already. By the way, uh, as long as we're mentioning that, Political Rewind, we're going to be live at uh, the Tyler Perry Studios. We're going to be there for two hours doing our show from two to four that afternoon um, Got to thank MSNBC for being so generous and giving us just enough passes to really put the show together, but not quite enough for everybody who's been asking us if they can come. But we are going to be there. I know you'll be there as well, uh, Jim Galloway. And Amy, I know you're coming down. But um, so uh, we're going to hear Medicare for All again from Elizabeth Warren, from Bernie Sanders particularly, although it's interesting. I don't know if anybody's had a chance to catch up on this. Elizabeth Warren today modified her Medicare for All plan by well, saying, yeah, know. it's brand new. It just broke a little while ago. Oh. I don't have it up on the screen, but pr- essentially what she did was to say anyone over 50, at starting at age 50, will have a choice to go to Medicare, will go into Medicare for all. If you're under 50, you'll have a choice to go for the public. The point being, she's obviously... It's, it's the private insurance issue. It's mm-hmm. it, But okay, so Jim, that said... In it, Medicare for all, according to Alan Abramowitz, the you know great researcher at Emory University, as, as you guys pointed out in the joke the other day, just published a piece in Larry Sabato's Crystal Ball, showing that in 2018 the Democrat Democratic candidates who embraced 
uh, Medicare for all got clobbered. He, he, yes, he, he looked at U.S. House races. Yeah, and 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 candidates who, who embraced Democratic candidates who who embraced uh, uh, Medicare for all, uh, it, it paid a, about a five point penalty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and so Caesar, you want to see the Democrats come into town next week? And here, Elizabeth Warren, despite the modification, and Bernie Sanders, com- continue to say, yes, if you have pr- we're going to throw out your private insurance. We're going to spend $20 trillion on universal government-controlled health care. How is that message going to play? Well, uh, obviously, the polling is saying it's not playing. Yeah. Well. And, and I, think, <laughs> I think it's a couple of reasons. Number one, you're, you know, your everyday working person who pays health insurance and they can predict, you know, kind of what their costs are right now. They're like, okay, I want to be able to just continue to be able to have this environment where I can predict my health care costs. Don't mess with my health care. I think that's part of it. And I think also there's a perception that Medicare for all, and I'm not sure if it's the messenger or even if it's actually the, the plan itself, is seen as something that's very far left. And I think that's a problem for it as well. And I think that's why you see... Uh, the poll numbers not being where they should be because you got, of course, a right that's not for it. Uh, and then you've got folks in the middle who are like, well, I don't know about this. And, 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 and I'll tell you, the other, the other part of that is it squanders an opportunity because you've got the Trump administration in, 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 in a federal lawsuit trying to dump uh, Obamacare. And so you basically give that up if you're if you're you're saying we're gonna okay we're done with 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 what the first African American president did is his his uh, his uh, his uh, legacy and we're going to move in this direction. Yeah, you know, Amy, you've got to think. I mean, w- w- given the the negative response to the Medicare for all proposals, uh, p- plus add to that Joe Biden's. You know, we're not quite sure what how strong he's really is, despite the fact he continues to lead the polls. But with Medicare for all uh, uh, proposals as well have got to at least be partly the reason that people like Duval Patrick now in the race, because we really needed another Democratic candidate for president <laughs> and maybe Michael Bloomberg. I mean, you've got to assume both of them are partly in there because they know that plan is going to turn off a great many uh, voters. I am still somewhat struggling to understand this week's entries into the race. <laughs> um, just from a strategic point, right, people have been running for a very long time. They have a lot, a lot of them have a lot of cash on hand. Um, Bloomberg, I recognize, comes with his own cash. But, you know, Deval Patrick is maybe the really kind of the or Yes, Deval Patrick is kind of the surprising one just because he doesn't actually have a lot of name recognition. Right. He does. To, he does in some groups, but I think more broadly. Um, and that's going and they to know be him interesting. In New Hampshire. <laughs> That'll well, be Massachusetts. In Massachusetts and New Hampshire. Yeah, yeah. I guess probably New Hampshire. As a two-term but I think that when it comes to Medicare for all, I mean, what's what's going to be really interesting, I guess, is how much at the end of the day that matters, right? When it comes to at the end of the primary, um, and then also going forward. I mean, I I find it very difficult, especially sort of in this right now, that there's going to be a lot of people who would vote in the Democratic primary and then are going to, you know, seriously contemplate that they would vote for right Donald Trump instead of voting for whoever the nominee is if they do that. I think the other side of it is, which is a hard one, that none of these are going to become law because the president can't make them law, right? It has to go through Congress. And 
I what is what has been fascinating to me is how much people have forgotten the debate that happened over um, Obamacare and where it originally started and how we got to what it exists as now, because his original version of it was much closer to Medicare for all. Jim, um, uh, two two things. Uh, Deval Patrick, just just FYI, I mean he 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 did did spend uh, three or four years uh, in Atlanta as Koch's top lawyer. So so there's that. But uh, you know when when I listen to I've I've been listening to Deval Patrick talk. I mean I've never had had, had any reason to pay much a whole lot of attention mm-hmm. to him to to doing uh, Massachusetts politics. But when when I when I hear him talk when I've heard him talk these last two days. Uh, I don't think this is a Joe Biden thing. I think this is a Medicare for all thing. I mean, and because in each conversation I've heard him, he has he has brought up uh, what, what I guess we have to call Romney care. That Massachusetts mm-hmm. before Obama, uh, the, the ACA, Massachusetts was covering ninety eight percent of its residents through through uh, a, a smaller version of the ACA that uh, Mitt Romney put into, into into into. And of course, you know, there's a, there's that Bain Capital. Uh, connection there. So, what do you think? What do you? What's your point about? What my you point think? is. My point about is. I think Medicare. he sees. I think he sees. I think he sees uh, uh, that uh, a Medicare. He, I think he sees uh, an avenue there uh, that that has been created by by uh, by uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, and is not being shut down by Joe Biden like it should be. Or, yeah, or he's, any he's Clum- looking Clum- at Trump. a more moderate lane to get himself into. Isn't that what you're basically yes, yeah. saying? Yeah. Well, then what prompts him to come in now? And I actually would love for you all to answer this because I feel like maybe you know right. more Let being on the grid. Let me first, yes. though, give let- Cody a chance to <laughs> jump in, and then we're going to yeah. take up exactly that question. You know, as a comms guy, I, if she really did roll out a, a change to her proposal, number one, it's on a Friday. <laughs> um if you spend a majority of your campaign talking about Medicare for all, Medicare for all, you're on the debate stage defending it, defending it, I can pay for it, it makes sense. You get pressure from your donors, pundits, and voters to say, how are you going to pay for it? You roll that out, it's tens of trillions of dollars, and then you then have to walk that back and say, well, now I'm not so sure. That Her comm staffers, I'm praying for them um, because that is, I mean, that's really hard <laughs> yeah. to try to message yeah. that we actually believe in this, but – you know, now we're not so sure. But I think there's been a lot of talk about, you know, folks outside of metro areas or a, a suburban voters kind of fleeing the Republican Party. Medicare for all will send them running right back um, because they're usually higher income. You take away their private insurance or their employer-sponsored insurance. That is a just a catastrophic event that would happen to the Democrats yeah, next year. I, but, well, I – I think that, you know, Amy, I, I do think that's a, an interesting answer to your comment that, well, once the primaries are over, voters aren't going to run to Trump. Well, Democrats aren't going to run to Trump, but but there is that independent voter out there. You know, speaking of all this, I think it's interesting, Jim, that when uh, the governor released his waivers, uh, especially the waiver that relates to Medicaid and the expansion of Medicaid, the limited expansion, mm-hmm. initially 50,000 new people mm-hmm. covered by it, that Cody Hall uh, put out word, we talked on the phone about it, that, well, people have been complaining. You didn't use the word complaining. Mm-hmm. I am. People have been saying Republicans don't have a health care plan. Well, here it is. We're at least putting a plan out there. Uh, Jim, an interesting way to uh, try to frame that. 
Well, and 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 look, I mean, it's it's uh, and if if we 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 can go into the details of the, of the Kemp plan, I think one of the one of the most interesting parts is the and 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 I'm speaking of uh, monetary emphasis, but the the emphasis that the governor is putting on helping people who have. Uh, Health care, despite you know, you know, with with extremely high premiums and high deductibles, that that a lot of uh, a lot of the effort is is toward making sure they keep their, yeah, their coverage. Yeah, and I think it's important. I should have said that that's really what you're talking about, the supplemental uh, insurance that you want to offer to people who are paying more than they'd like to for insurance, and this notion of taking control of ACA funds for the state. Um, You know, so it's interesting, Caesar, and we'll let Cody jump in on this. It's interesting that certainly the criticism of the governor's plan has mostly focused on the fact that he hasn't expanded Medicaid as much as a great many people, including the Georgia Hospital Association, Grady Hospital, and others say he should have. Not so much criticism on this notion of coming up with a solution to the high cost of premiums. That's kind of interesting. Well, I, I think there's the political and then there's a the substance. And, and I would say the, I would say announcing an expansion of, of Medicare was probably pretty brilliant on my phone. I, mean, I don't know how, code, how, how involved you were in the messaging, uh, but to, to be a Republican governor in the South where, where no Republican governors anywhere are talking about expanding Medicare, uh, to say we're going to expand Med- Medicare, uh, Medicaid, Medicare, you know, that to me is a strong political move. Now, obviously, as you know, Democrats, we've tried to kind of use the battle of us only 50,000 people. You're really, really not going far enough to kind of use that battle over the governor's head. But that, but that rhetoric doesn't get down, you know, to what people are reading in the AJC and what's getting on TV when you can say, oh, we got a Republican governor that's expanding. Do you, you know, think Medicaid. that's been Absolutely. how the message, really, Amy, Absolutely. is that how you think the message has been received? I mean, I think Cody wish, hopes that's true. But think about it, it's the politicos who are going to, you know, we're going to sit here yeah. and say, wait a minute, that's not enough Interesting. and get technical about it. But there was an announcement on TV in an AJC that the Republican governor in the South expanded <laughs> Medicaid. I mean, I'm, you know, really? I mean, so anyhow, I just thought it was a smart move. Now, now, here's the last point, and I'll shut up on this. <laughs> the cat is out of the bag. And, and what I mean by that is that the governor is going to have to continue to go in that direction. And if he doesn't, is he's going to hear a lot of criticism. I think if in 2022, if the waiver is accepted, and we mm-hmm. don't have any reason to doubt the feds will take it because they've been consulting with the White House about it, and by 2022's governor's race, and there's only 58,000 people who've gotten additional Medicaid, it, as good as Caesar thinks the messaging is right now about expansion, that'll be a point that I would think a Democrat would want to use against him. That's very possible. That, of course, is also right a solid three years from now. I mean, I do think well, what we yeah. have is that. Well, no, but I think it's kind of important. I think right now the top line messaging is Medicaid expansion first in the South. Right. Republican governor. And I think that that's right. That's what people are hearing in the same way that, you know, when it comes to this sort of discussion on Medicare for all right now, it's sort of this debate really within right on the Democratic side over. Right. How do we expand access? I think what's going to shift, though, especially once we've got a nominee, is that then there's going to be this debate of, well, right. President Trump is trying to take away access, right? We're trying to give it to you. He's trying to take it away, especially with the pending court cases over the ACA um, and whether or not it's unconstitutional. 
Um, and so that then again, that top line messaging kind of collapses yeah. to become yeah. that. Right. Now, fast forward to 2022 and potentially right now we're sort of on the other side of it. And it's how is that worked? And I and I think it'll be interesting to see sort of also um, how generally speaking, expansion of Medicaid has had positive economic benefits, okay. which is why other states want to do it. And so I think it'll be interesting to see also how the governor responds to that and whether or not that encourages him to want to expand it more. Cody? I was just going to let Caesar keep talking. Oh, I mean, I mean, I, you know, just, just I, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Democrat, and, and you know, we, we still <laughs> carry around our backs for the governor, but you can't really hit the governor over the head, really, because I think you know, you know, he's he's done what no other governor, Republican governor, so done. I, I, and again, I, I, let me just say this: that's the bag, and that's the cat. It's right. out of the bag now, sure. and, he, and so I think that's... Well, isn't yeah. that what I'm suggesting when I'm saying if you start with 50000 and don't have a bigger expansion down the road, exactly. you're going to look vulnerable? It'll be a problem. Okay. I disagree. So okay. I, I, I think, number one, I, so our estimates say that there's, at maximum enrollment, we think there's going to be around fifty to 52000 However, that's not a set group of folks because how Georgia Pathways is currently set up um, if you're engaged in 80 hours a month of work, job training, education, or community service, you're eligible for this. You're either going to be put on your employer insurance or Medicaid, whichever is more cost effective for the state. So 80 hours is part-time work. The goal of this is for the folks that are on Georgia Pathways to start to make more money. They may transition from that part-time job to that full-time job or Given the job training that they're getting, they now get that full-time job. That kicks them over 100% FPL. Then they're eligible for insurance on the private exchange. So I will say that by the end of five years, we think it could be well over 50,000 that are eligible because currently there are 400,000 people that are under 100% FPL. little yeah, carrot-in-the-stick approach there, I, Jim. I, right. I would say <laughs> I, I would point out, though, that, that, that work requirements have had a very, very tough time. Uh, pass, passing judicial it's muster. Passing federal muster, but Cody Hall, and we don't want to get into the weeds know, on this. No, no, no. I just want to say that you believe, your your office, your boss believes, that your waiver is different and you'll be able to make a different case in the federal courts. And as, as it comes to that, we can get down to the details of that. Just it's early to do that. But you think you can defend uh, your program and that it's different from the states that have been challenged and lost. Absolutely, because we okay. think we're doing something on the front end. But if I make a political point here, I would encourage all the Republican House and Senate members that are running for re-election or, or running against Wait Democratic Wait are you incumbents? about to use political rewind to get uh, political hey, purposes? A message yeah. out? Is this I'm just saying. I want to hear this. Yeah. I'm just this. saying that. <laughs> These Democrats in the House and Senate that voted against the Patients First Act, they've now got to answer for not expanding access to health care to tens of thousands of Georgians that are currently in poverty and voting against lowering health care premiums across wow. the state. Wow. So I'm just saying All right. Talk next year, get ready for stick. it. Yeah. Holy cow. Oh, man, that was you telegraphed that one, too. All right. Yeah. Let's we're running out of time, but there's something else we really have to talk about for a couple of minutes. Uh, Jim Galloway. Um, we had a real shakeup, a change, a big change in the 6th District GOP congressional race. Brandon Beach, really well-known, certainly in his district, uh, successful state senator, uh, highly respected. I would have said, imagine if you did a poll of his constituents, he'd come across as doing pretty well, decided to drop out 
of the uh, race for uh, Lucy McBath for, to, to have the right to run against Lucy McBath. Oh. Right, right. Uh, leaves uh, Karen Handel in the, in the catbird seat on the Republican side with uh, two other uh, uh, female candidates. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was he was the only he was the only male candidate running in that in in that race. Um, what's she, I think we do have to go back to Cody on this. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, Brandon had a conversation with the governor about this. Is this correct? I think they had a, a phone conversation over the weekend. And and to the best of your knowledge, did the governor encourage Brandon that he would be more useful and powerful if he would remain in the state Senate? I'll be honest. I have no idea what the okay. exact details of their conversation were. So. Okay. Um, yeah, but I will say this, yeah. though. I think to that point, I think, you know, uh, Brandon Beach is a, a very popular legislator. Yeah. And he's got respect on both sides of the aisle. Uh, and then maybe Karen Handel just punched him squarely in the nose and said, sit down. He yeah. wasn't having any and, trouble I mean, raising money. Yeah, I mean, but, but from a Republic, I mean, yeah. that's just smart Republican strategy. I mean, if you really want to, if you're serious about going after that seat, why would you have Handel and Beach fighting each other? Yeah. That would be great for and, us. And, uh, I mean, yeah. Handel, Handel had secured the, the endorsements of, of Kevin McCarthy and the, and the, and the rest mm-hmm. of the House leadership up in, up in Washington. Uh, there wasn't too much of a fundraising gap there between them. But also, I mean, I, I think there are a couple things is uh, that uh, our reporting is borne out is that, you know, this the 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 recent uh, municipal elections really had an effect on this. I mean, you have a, a democratic, a democratic done, mayor. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and that 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 speaks to the fact that the shift in the sixth district isn't a isn't going to be a one offer. You know what? The other thing, Amy, that I found interesting about uh, uh, his decision not to run for that seat is that he said he was at a conference someplace fairly recently. Um, of course, he's been a big uh, had a big impact on transportation <laughs> issues in in his role in the state senate, and he had a lot of people coming up to him talking about how valuable he had been in in fighting for transit mm-hmm. and um, mixed use transportation, and it suddenly made him realize that he does have impact. And and the reason I mention it now, you you know what it's like up there in Congress. You study them. You've done a lot of uh, work about them. I Why you want to go to the U.S. House when it's likely you're going to be in the minority and you're going to be way in the back of the house, you are going to be one of the real back, back, back benchers with little control over committee assignment. I just, it just strikes me Brandon has said that he's always wanted to go to Congress, but maybe it would have been more interesting to him if he knew there was going to be a Republican majority so that he could have a little clout up there. I I think all of that is true. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've heard around the Capitol say that they like it better here in many ways. Right. And you can. I mean, he's he is very much established. Right. A area for himself, one which he. Uh, is able to do right lots of work on that and work with people across the aisle, and that's a huge thing. I mean, so right now, Congress is having issues, uh, to put it mildly, um, of getting things done and of working on that. And it is very difficult to be in the minority. Um, you see that in sort of everything that's going on. You lose that agenda control. You lose the control of the committees. And while on the one side in the Senate, that is sometimes not as big of a deal, though it's been more so recently. Um, in the House, it's everything. Yeah, you've had, you've, you've had uh, just, and we're not to Christmas yet, 
But mm-hmm. we've already had 28 uh, House members saying they're not going to run for re-election next year. Yep. 20 of them are Republicans. And I think that might have entered into Beach's thinking as well. Well, I think so. And there's more likely to come. Yeah. All right. So that was a sneaky way, a backdoor way of getting, again, uh, the governor's press secretary to weigh in on another <laughs> issue. One of the things, Caesar, that Brandon Beach has been a great champion of is legalized gambling in Georgia. Mm. In his case, it's horse racing which I think increasingly because of the bad press that horse racing has been getting recently, especially in California, may be less likely than sports betting, Caesar. Suddenly, you've got a four, you've got all four major sports teams, professional sports teams, creating a coalition. They're going to come in and lobby hard for sports betting in Georgia. And if casinos isn't going to work this time and horse racing isn't, Sports racing betting looks like it could. Well, this thing has evolved. This conversation has evolved a lot. And I think the bottom line is is that I think there's a growing a growing realization that some form of betting in Georgia is really coming, whether it's casinos, whether it's horse racing, or now, you know, sports betting, which I think sports betting has a, a good chance. Yeah, yeah. The, the, difference, the difference is this is not Sheldon Adelson coming uh, f- flying in from Nevada and and paying a visit Th- this is these are these are four homegrown institutions you know maybe the Braves have a Colorado uh, uh, ownership but they're still ours yeah uh, and they're the ones who this is the first time that we've had local corporate support for something like this yeah. and I'm, I'm I'm really curious uh, to know how our governor is going to respond. Well, and especially because Cody, you know, Speaker Ralston uh, was on Political Rewind a couple weeks back, and uh, we asked him uh, about sports betting. He's obviously held the line against gambling uh, legislation, and he was pretty obviously uh, suggesting, yeah, maybe that he didn't quite go this far, but he's open to it. What about Governor Kemp? So. As you all know, there's a legislative committee looking at this, and, and I can say from experience that the most dangerous piece of real estate in Georgia is between a legislative committee and a hot-button political topic. So I think we're going to let the committee do its work, and then we'll see what it comes out. Because with with all three of these different issues, casinos, horse racing, and sports betting, how this issue starts is not going to be how this issue ends in terms of the details, what's moving, what's not. So We'll let the House and Senate work through their issues, and then um, at the appropriate time, we'll weigh in. (laughs) Okay. I'm glad we got an answer. (laughs) It was an answer, maybe not the one you wanted. I do think, Jim, I've said this before, I do think the name of that committee is absolutely wonderful. It's hilarious. It's something like the, what, Economic Opportunity Committee? In other words, God forbid they should say we're looking at betting. It's about economic it's opportunity. About, it's about job creation. <laughs> yes. You know, yes. whether it's yeah. in rural Georgias on, on horse breeding farms. Yeah. Uh, and I would anticipate if you're the Braves, Falcons, Hawks, or Atlanta United, you're going to be uh, putting out some stats about how many people your operations employ and how many and, and what it would take to keep them there and how bad it would hurt them if if you know if if they don't get the fan base that they want all right i mean it's officially now what the the bookie committee i mean it's not <laughs> yes. it's the bookie committee i mean that, i mean it's you're talking about they didn't know, go with that name see you know <laughs> yeah. oh bookies. man yeah, cue up the theme music to the sting for our out of today yeah. <laughs> that's it we're out of time for uh today's show caesar mitchell you got the last word thank you for being here with us it was really fun to have you in amy steigerwald you too Thank you. Cody Hall, 
thank you for uh, being part of the show today. Absolutely. Just trying to defend your boss, doing his... <laughs> Pretty good job of it, I think. And Jim Galloway, see you again for our shows next week. Um, again, one last time, next Wednesday we'll be live at Tyler Perry Studios at the Media Center where we'll do a two-hour version of Political Rewind getting set for the presidential debate that night. And, by the way, we'll turn uh, our microphones over at four to Ricky Bevington, who will have it, all things considered live from Tyler Perry Studios as well. So I hope to see you before then, but if not, certainly Wednesday for Political Rewind. Everybody take care. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.